Well, it's exciting. We're here, a new beginning. A new place, new friends, uh, new relationships. Um, and it's exciting to see what God's going to do. Uh, I'm looking forward to the future. What's gonna God going to do with a small group in Midtown Mobile that's committed to the gospel, that has supporters and friends and churches praying and caring? What might God do with us? I don't know. I'm thankful for each of you being here. I'm thankful for those that um, have been a part of this journey. Some of you have been a part of this for two years. Ryan and I were reflecting. Really, over two years ago, Ryan went to the assessment center about church planning, and then I came a few months later, and God began working. And, of course, this has been in the heart of Grace Community for, for many years. And now here we are to journey together as a church. Exciting times. As Ryan and I talked about, what are we going to start with? We thought that the journey of discipleship, the journey uh, begins and ends with Jesus. All of us have to do something with Jesus. And so we're going to take the next five weeks and we're going to explore some of the questions that Jesus asked from the Gospel of John. Um, the, Jesus is notorious for asking questions, hard questions. Probing questions. People ask him a question and he responds with a question. And often those questions have sort of a surface level answer, but they often have sort of a deeper meaning where he's kind of probing below the surface. And so we want to try to get to those, those below the surface places. If you have your Bible, we'll be in John chapter 1 or your device or whatever it is. Um, you can follow along there. But these next few weeks, we're going to look. Questions from Jesus from the Gospel of John. As we enter this journey of discipleship, we're here tonight because of Jesus. We're on a journey of discipleship because of Jesus. So let's explore the text and see, see what we find out. It begins in verse 35. And the context is John the Baptist is there. Remember John the Baptist is the one that came to prepare the way for the Lord. He had been the precursor to Jesus, preparing people for Jesus' coming. And certainly uh, as he prophesies, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. As he sees Jesus walking by, he makes this great statement. And he has two of his own disciples. They see this. They see Jesus walking by. And they hear John, the one they're following, say, Behold, the Lamb of God. And don't think they know all what that means, but they, they follow they follow Jesus. They were curious. And when you're curious, you, you investigate. And so they follow Jesus. And then Jesus asked this interesting question in verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Some translations say, What do you want? What are you boys after following me? What are you doing? What are you looking for? Jesus asked. In one sense, it's kind of a normal question. We'd ask the question if we're walking the street. A couple people are following us. If they weren't threatening us, maybe. We'd say, well, what do you guys want? What, what are you looking for? And that's what, that's what they ask. We kind of expect Jesus to do something maybe a little different, you know. Who seeketh thou? You know, or something in... Old English or something profound, but he just says a very simple question. What do you want? What are you seeking? It's a surface question. It's a normal question, but it's, 
It's also kind of the question underneath all of the questions he's going to ask throughout the Gospels on discipleship. What do you want? What are you seeking? It was relevant in the first century. It's relevant in the 21st century today. So as we begin this church, I ask you, what do you want? Like you, what do you want? Why are you here? What are you seeking? What are you after? Do you know what you want? Do you know what you're seeking? Philosopher, theologian James K.A. Smith, he says this, What do you want? That's the question from Jesus. It's the first. It's the last. It's the most fundamental question of Christian discipleship. It's the question that includes all other questions. It's a good question. What do you want? It's the question we have to wrestle. Jesus recognized they were following Him for some reason. They wanted something, right? They were following. They they, They heard this statement from John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, and they thought, wow, that's important. That sounds interesting. They wanted something. They thought Jesus... And in that sense, these two... What are we wanting? I read a survey of 2017. What Americans want most? See if these resonate with you. 49% of Americans. The number one answer said, increased savings. Increased savings. Corresponding, they wanted lower debt. So sorry, medical students. Increased savings. 44% of Americans said they wanted most. They wanted better health. Better health. 37% said more time with friends. That's a good one. I thought this was interesting. 30% said they wanted to be better organized. I can appreciate that. They said, like, we want to be able to trust the government. Good luck with that one. <laughs> Freedom to make our own, own choices. And finally, the ability to travel more. When Americans were asked what the one thing they wanted most for their kids, they said, I just want my kids to be happy, right? want our kids to be happy. What would you say? These are good things. We would say some of the same things. We want financial security. We want health. Uh, we want well-being. We, we want a family. Maybe you want to be married in here. Or you want to have kids. Or you want your kids to do well. Or you want to make it to retirement. Or have enough money in retirement. Or you want these same things. Maybe if we're really honest, we say things a little less uh, noble. We say, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to stand out. I want to be known. I want to be recognized. You see, the first thing to know here in discipleship is discipleship begins with knowing our wants. Jesus says, do you know what you want? And many of us don't, but he, we've got to know our wants. It's, the list I named aren't bad things. They're, they're good things. They're just not enough. They're not big enough. Jesus is beginning in John this campaign, this this commission to to rewrite, to change, to to redirect what the kingdom of God is going to look like. 
He wants to know what they want because he wants to give us more. He wants to give us more. The first thing we have to know is what do we want? Jesus wants our wants. That's interesting for Christianity, isn't it? Is that interesting for religion? It's about wants. Religion is about your desire. We think of it in terms of obedience. We think of it in terms of belief. But here Jesus starts the first words He gives in the Gospel are about desire, or about the heart. He would say that the greatest commandment is to, to love the Lord your God. Did you hear the first word? To love. The greatest commandment, the thing I want most for you to do is to love. That's a disposition of the heart. James Smith continues, Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John or you and me and ask, what do you know? Or even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? What do you want? Do you even know your own heart? It begins with naming, knowing our wants. Notice what happens. The two men, one of them is Andrew, they respond in verse 38. Jesus says, what do you want or what are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? What do you want? Where are you staying? This conversation isn't going so well, right? They're not quite getting it here. You, ask, you didn't answer the question. Um, what do you want? Where are you staying? It's an odd answer. Why do they say that? I don't know why they said that. Maybe they said it because uh, they just gave an answer so they could think about it to come up with a better answer. Or maybe they really wanted to know where Jesus was staying so maybe next time they were around they could go by and see His place. Or maybe they, they realized in the moment they don't know it's too big of a question and maybe they would get some time with Jesus and if they had time with Jesus maybe they could begin to know what, what are we seeking What's our curiosity leaning us towards with Jesus? Or maybe they simply had no idea what they wanted. Jesus is after our wants, but the truth is most of us really don't know what we want. The second thing we see about discipleship and journeying with Jesus is that we have a wanting problem. We have a problem knowing our own wants. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus would say it this way. The Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, hunger and thirsting is another way of saying, what do you want? What's your appetite? What's your heart after? What are you pursuing? What do you want? In order for Jesus to matter, in order for Jesus to satisfy us, we've got to know what our hearts are longing for, what our hearts really want. But we have a wanting problem. What's the problem? A couple of problems. The first problem is that some of us have stopped hungering and thirsting at all. Some of us don't want at all. We've 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 down. We've Resigned. Uh, to hunger, to not hunger and thirst is actually a, a sign of death. Uh, I remember a few years ago, Katie, Katie's grandfather 
passed away. We called him Paul. And Paul, was, uh, he was a tough dude. He was a Marine in World War II. He was in the Pacific. He was in the Battle of Iwo Jima and the Battle of Tarawa. And he saw all kind of things and he survived. He saw his, his fellow soldiers die, his, his buddies right before him. He was a tough guy. He lived his life that way and he died that way. And so for years he'd been struggling in health, but he was a fighter. So we always heard, he's, could be it, this could be it, this could be it. And finally we got a phone call and said, we think Paul's going to, it's almost time. And we said, well, we've heard this before, he's tough. And they said, no, it's, I think this is it. Well, how do we know this is it? If you've been around death, you know. He won't eat. He won't drink. He has no appetite. Sure enough, within a few days, he died. You see, when we stop hungering and thirsting, we know we're near death. Some of us don't know what we want. We've, we've been shut down. Tolstoy said it famously, he said, boredom is the desire for desires. Some of us are spiritually bored. Or worse, we've, we've just shut it down. We've, we've closed it off. We've checked the boxes. We've gone through the motions. We've done the thing we're supposed to do because we're supposed to do it. And Jesus says, what do you want? What's your heart after. Why don't we want? There's some here that don't want because life's just beat us down. Kim shared of, of loss and grief and disappointment. We've hoped before and been disappointed. We've, we've given ourselves to something and it's not come about. And so we've Resigned, and I, I fall in this category far too often. I become cynical, I become jaded, and I back away, and my heart becomes self protective because if you don't want, you can't be hurt. And so we play it safe. It's just the way life is. Some of us don't want because maybe we're in sin, deep in sin. Maybe we're hiding. Maybe there's a, there's a double life going on when we begin to live perpetually in sin. Our, our, our heart and our, our hunger, our soul shrinks. Our appetite declines. And we don't want. Sin overrides us. We become spiritually anorexic. We have no desire We lose our appetite. When we lose our appetite, we become like, like an orphan. We live as an orphan. I have a friend who runs an orphanage in Haiti, and when he started it, he, he told a, a, the, the sad stories and the tales of seeing these orphans who didn't cry, they don't ask, they don't beg, they don't do anything. They had resigned. They had given up. They lost hope. No more desire. Jesus says, what do you want? Hearts. Hunger is a prerequisite for discipleship with Jesus. Some of us, 
We have a wanting problem, but it's not a lack of appetite. It's that our wants are, are misdirected. We want the wrong things, right? Thirst, it's just in the wrong direction. We look in, in the wrong places. We're, we're looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Our, our, our hungers have become lusts. They've become demands. We've tried to satisfy them. We've searched and searched, but never satisfied. And so we settle for lesser things. Jesus wants to invite these two men on a radical campaign to reshape how they think of everything but it's got to be reoriented around Him. You know, my kids would, would rather eat a hot dog from the gas station than a filet mignon from Ruth's Chris, you know? It's tragedy, right? I mean, it's true. If Costco hot dog, I kind of understand. Those are pretty good. But they settle. We settle. It reminds us of the often... Lewis quote. You've heard this about our misdirected desires. Lewis would say, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires, they're not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite is offered us, like a parent child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily satisfied. Isn't that true? When we find, when we look other places, when we want things besides fulfillment in the Lord, uh, we settle for cheap substitutes for the, for the real thing. It brought me to this quote. You've probably heard this. This is from Bruce Marshall, Scottish writer, 1945 novel. The novel's called The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. And if you've read this, Interesting article. Father Smith is the, 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 the parish priest and he encounters a prostitute. He encounters a prostitute. And, and this is how the dialogue goes between the priest and the prostitute. The prostitute says, how do you manage to live without us? Talking about women. Father Smith easily and confidently answers, in his view, women's bodies are rarely perfect. They grow old and sag and Always the contemplation of them, even at their best, is a poor and boring substitute for walking with God in His house as a friend. Miss Agdala, the, the prostitute, she judges that Father Smith's answer proves what she had always maintained about Christians, that religion is only a substitute for sex. But Father Smith counters roundly, I still prefer to believe that sex is a substitute for religion. That the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. Jesus is not against desire. He's asked them, what's your desire? But we've got to wrestle with the fact that we settle for substitute desires. We go looking for love in places that can't satisfy or fulfill us. Cheap substitutes. I find it funny, sometimes secular culture picks up on this and we don't even as the church. Last year I read an article and I, I took a note because I thought it was so interesting. It was a New York Times opinion article and the article was entitled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. Anybody see this article? 
why you will marry the wrong person. And the, the author, Elaine de Bottom, she said, all of us will marry the wrong person. Yes, even you, sweetheart, you married the wrong person. All of us. Why would we marry the wrong person, she said. She says, because we marry for the wrong reasons. Here's some reasons she gave. We marry to heal a childhood wound. We marry to try and make one moment with a person last for a lifetime. We try and escape an overwhelming sense of loneliness. We try and create a, a, a family dynamic which will make us safe and secure. Regardless of the reason, we all marry the wrong person. Disney didn't tell you that, did they? What's the solution, she says. The author says the solution is this. We mustn't abandon him or her. Okay, good news. We married the wrong person, but we mustn't abandon him or her. Only the founding romantic idea upon which the Western understanding of marriage has been based the last 250 years, we must abandon the idea that a perfect being exists who can meet all our needs and satisfy our every yearning. We must abandon the idea that there's a person in this world that can meet our deepest longings. I love when the secular world stumbles upon something the Bible's been saying forever. That if we look for satisfaction and joy outside of God, we will never, never be satisfied. No spouse, no car, no money, no fame, no experience. Let me ask you, where are you looking to be satisfied? Where do you run? You're looking. You're searching. Where are you searching? Jesus wants them to know to search in their hearts. Let's get back to the text. Where are you, what do you want? What are you seeking? Where are you staying? Jesus' response is better than they could have expected. He didn't say, well, here's my business card. You know, look me up when you're back in town. He didn't say, uh, well, go down three lights, turn left, second stop sign, my house is back over there. He didn't do that. Jesus says, come. Come and you will see. What an answer. What are you seeking? Come and you will see. This is great news for us because the reality is we don't even know what we want. We don't even know. We, don't, we can't even want what we want. We're half-hearted. We're fickle. We change our minds. We're committed to the Lord and then we're not. The third thing of discipleship, the journey on discipleship is Jesus invites us to explore that He is the answer to our longings. That underneath what we really want, financial security, health, happiness, wealth, is we really want Him. We really want to be satisfied in Him. And here Jesus says, come and you will see. You don't get it. You don't understand. You don't even know. But come with me. He's gracious. And He invites us. And that's what I love about being here in Midtown is all of our neighbors are just like us. They're half-hearted wonners. They're fickle. They're searching. 
they're looking, and this didn't work, and that didn't work, and this didn't work. And we get to meet them and to invite them in a journey, a discipleship process with Jesus where He's going to work in our hearts and our lives to give us meaning and joy. So what do they do? Verse 39, Jesus says, come. They get to come with Him. And it says, so they came and saw where He was staying, and they stayed with Him that day for it was about the tenth hour. They stayed with Him the whole day, it says. Can you imagine to stay the whole day with Jesus? Like to sit with Jesus? Uh, do you get starstruck if you've ever been around a celebrity or professional athlete or, and you're around them and you're just in awe? I have a buddy who was on a business trip recently and uh, he was in the Midwest and he, he got picked up by one of those professional driving companies and, and um, he had a long, long drive with the driver and he says, has anybody, you ever driven anybody famous? And the guy said, yeah, actually two weeks ago in your same seat, Justin Timberlake sat right in that seat. And a, a couple years ago, I drove Warren Buffett. How about that? Some of you don't even know who Warren Buffett is. But, you know? And, and the guy told his wife, you know, I sat where Justin Timberlake sat. And she's like, don't wash your pants ever. Like, we're gonna, you know, it's a shrine, Justin Timberlake. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus? Like they sat with Jesus. The one that made them. The one that created them. The one that knows the deepest longings of their heart and not only knows them, but can actually satisfy them. Can you imagine? They sit in the presence of Jesus. Something happens. I don't know. I guess if you're sitting with Jesus all day, it must happen. It says, uh, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he, first, uh, he first found, so he's with Jesus, he's sitting with him, so he goes and tells him, he goes and finds his brother Simon, who Jesus would call Cephas or Peter, and he says this, we have found the Messiah, or the Christ, the Anointed One, Something connected with Andrew. He was just coming to see. He was just coming to investigate. And then he encountered Jesus. See, that's what Jesus does. And he said, we found the Messiah. Now, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish context. The Messiah is, is everything. It's what they long for. It's what they look for. It's all the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. It's, it's, the Messiah would come and He would sit on the throne of David and He would rule with righteousness and judgment and peace and goodness would be across the land. He would restore the hope of Israel. He would be whatever John meant by the Lamb of God. He would sacrifice. All of these were swirling in His mind. This is the Messiah. And now everything we've longed for, I've met Him. It's not a what do you want, it's who do you want. It's the Messiah. He had found him, and now he goes and tells his brother, We found the Christ. And his desires, his longings open up. See, it begins this journey of discipleship. If, if you would. 
you know, if you so choose to accept this mission on this journey with Jesus, it starts with where we are, but He never leaves us there. See, Jesus changes us. He's committed to growing and changing us. It's interesting, I'm preaching on this text about desire, and this week I had great anxiety and wrestling with performance and wrestling with fears and my own insecurities. And I was real. It, it took me a while to get it. I'm slow. I'm going to slow in the uptake to realize Jesus wants to change me too. And He wants to change you too. He's going to invite us. He's going to take us where we are. This new church is going to start and we're, we're in baby form and we're stumbling around and we're figuring out things. But He's going to invite us to more and more and more because He wants the deepest desires of our hearts and our neighbor's hearts. Bruce Milne says this about what Jesus does when we begin to wrestle with Him. He says this, Sooner or later, when we begin to take Jesus seriously, we face the same question. What do we really want with Him? Or from Him? C.S. Lewis puts it this way with typical force, says Milne, quoting Lewis. There comes a moment when the children who've been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hallway? There comes a moment when people who've been dabbling in religion is man seeking for God, suddenly draw back, supposingly we have really found Him. We never meant it to come to that. Worse still, supposing He has found us. So it is sort of a Rubicon, something to cross. One goes across or not, but if one does go across, one may be in for anything we just might accidentally stumble upon Him. But when we, when we find Him, once you see Him, you can't unsee Him. Once you've seen Him, you've, you've seen too much, and now you're invited into this journey with Jesus. This very painful journey, as Kim shared often, hard journey, and yet there's more joy and more delight and more satisfaction and peace than we can ever imagine. More longing, more pain, more joy, more delight, more expectation. It's a journey with Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm going to conclude with this. Um, Lewis mentions one phrase in there that gives me encouragement. He says, Worse still, supposing He found us. It's terrifying and comforting to be found by Jesus. Because now, He's our great source of comfort, but all bets are off. All, all chips are in. He's here to, to mess with us in a beautiful way. And to change us. But our comfort here. Christ Redeemer is as we wrestle with this question, what do you really want? What are you seeking? What are you after? Jesus has been seeking us the whole time. He wants us. Actually, the whole Bible is about that. The whole Bible is about Him pursuing 
a people for Himself. He wants a people to worship Him for all eternity. Jesus stated so much, I came to seek and to save the lost. He sought these disciples. He seeks us tonight. He seeks us as a body of believers in this very small part of the kingdom of God. He seeks us. And so we can rest. And we can come to Him with, I don't really know what I want. And when I do want, I often want things that aren't what I'm supposed to want or aren't things that are actually going to satisfy my deepest wants. But we come again. And we come again. And we seek. And we gather. And we ask Him, the One who seeks us to change us. It's grace. It's grace. We seek Him because of His great grace for us. Let's seek the Lord as a church because the Lord, the One that wants our wants, He seeks us. Let's pray. Jesus, You are far more committed to us than we could ever imagine. You are after us in such a radical way. Jesus, thank You today that You want us in the most deepest of places. That You want our hearts and our desires and our longings. God, help us. Help us. We waver. We struggle. God, but we're thankful that You continue to pursue us. May we in turn pursue You. We lift these things up to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So come to